The wise sage Devin Booker has a saying, if if were a fifth, we'd all be drunk. On today's episode of Locked on Suns, we will do exactly that. Maybe get drunk on some ifs. We're hopping in the time machine. We're playing revisionist history. The Suns have made a bunch of moves in the past year. Their roster looks very different. Were they the right moves? We'll talk about it all on today's episode of Locked on Suns. Let's go. You are Locked on Suns. Your daily Phoenix Suns podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And we're back. This is Locked On Phoenix Suns. We're a part of the Locked On Podcast Network, and I'm your host, Brendan Clean, a credential media member covering the Suns for the past six seasons a writer at suns.com, and the host of the Just Basketball Show, wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for making Locked On Suns your first listen to start your Tuesday. We're free and available everywhere. Become an everydayer. Get locked onto the Phoenix Suns by hitting follow or subscribe wherever you're finding the show. Joining us as he does every week, early in the week, not Monday this week, but that is on me, Brandon Duane. Yes, he is a writer over at brightsideofthesun.com. And we're going to talk the John Collins move from today, which was a longtime Suns target. The Chris Paul move to the Wizards. A lot of stuff happening tangentially to the Suns and what it sort of says about the pathway that the Suns have chosen. So let's start, Brandon, with um, let's start with the Aiton stuff because that's the news of the week. There's a lot of chatter about it. Let me pass it to you off the top uh, for your quick thoughts here on just the idea of Aiton staying put. Do you believe that that's permanent as far as what the Suns are going to do? And if so, what is your take on keeping the big man after two years of shopping him? Well, first of all, I love how you started the show. Uh, we, we got a <laughs> bottle of, of ifs here and I'm ready to, to drink it. So uh, let's dive in. But uh, as far as the whole Aiden situation, I think it's it's just kind of a, a game of chess right now. They're, they're, I don't think that anything is set by any means this early in the offseason. I think we're going to get a lot of conflicting reports. You're going to see some leverage plays. You're going to like, you know, every offseason there's always that one team or one player where it's like, you know, we, we feel great about our relationship with this player. We're going to keep them. And then a week later they're gone. So uh, th- this could be a legitimate report as well, that the Suns truly have been exploring the best options for Aiden. They saw, I mean, we all saw what John Collins just went for and maybe that's what the Suns were dealing with. And yeah. they just said, all right, fine. We'll just, we're going to stick with DA. So uh, I'm, I'm not shocked based off his value or market, but um, I know Suns fans were, were going at each other today on, on Twitter. So, <laughs> As we have for uh, more than five years now uh, about that particular yeah. gentleman. Um, so, yeah, let's go back in time a little bit, as I said. Um, I agree with you. I'm pretty sure it is how things are going to end. I just feel like the draft was somewhat of a deadline. There's a part of me that does wonder if they're able to still cook something up. Should a team that wants a big man strike out in free agency or in sort of the meat of, of the offseason next week? But that I just don't see the, the bottom line changing, which is just that there's not a lot of center needy teams that have the money under the cap or under the tax to go out and spend $30 million on Aiton in particular. That's been the problem forever. That's still the problem. So if we go to February of last year here, this is one of the most wrong that I've ever been about DeAndre Aiton uh, or, or about something 
related to DeAndre Ayton, which was that the Suns should not have traded for DeMontis Sabonis. I don't mean wrong related to Ayton. I mean, I just thought Sabonis was not that great of a player, and then he came out and, and really proved a lot of people wrong with a, an all-star caliber year this past year in Sacramento. But what did you feel like at the time about that potential trade? Because it would have just put the Suns fully toward offense, which felt crazy at the time, but that's kind of where we're at anyway. If they had traded Aiton this offseason, it probably would have looked a lot like that too, and probably for a worse player than Sabonis. Yeah, I mean, I was right there with you. I, I was not a fan of the trade, mainly because when you're, you're looking at the center position in the playoffs, you're looking for what everyone calls a 16-game player. And to me, Sabonis, uh, you know, obviously he had a great season in Sacramento. He really kind of showed that he's him and Fox are one of the best one-two punches with the, the chemistry on offense. And Sacramento put up a historically good offensive season uh, centered around Sabonis. But, you know, come playoff time, there are limitations. So that's that's another issue that, uh, that I think probably all of us had in the back of our minds, like, how is this going to look in the playoffs? Uh, we just, we know that, you know, rewinding things a little bit, we still probably had a little more faith in DeAndre uh, at that point to get rejuvenated um, sooner than later. So I, I don't know. I don't, I don't think it looks that bad in hindsight, um, but, you know, all things considered now, we're, we're talking about probably getting maybe one asset in an expiring contract for Aiden, whereas, Sabonis is like the center of the discussion before, and there's some other names that have popped up, but it's, it just shows you that if you hang on too long and wait for things to change, sometimes they won't. They might get worse, and the return gets worse. So that's yeah. that's kind of what we're dealing with now. Yeah, and I think the through line in this whole conversation today is that it's kind of hard to necessarily look at a lot of the things that didn't happen along the way, and, and I just want to like say this so the audience gets it, like, it's kind of hard to look at a lot of things along the way and say that they weren't worth it when the end result ended up being the biggest possible superstar trade that we've had in the NBA since probably Anthony Davis, right? With Kevin Durant. It's like the the, the Sabonis trade probably does not happen. Um, or, or if it happens, then the KD trade probably doesn't happen. So I'm not telling everybody how to feel about the KD trade, but I would imagine if you're picking between Sabonis and Durant in a vacuum, you lean that way. Obviously, the Aiton... Uh, elephant in the room is the part that's very different because they couldn't send eight now in that Durant trade. And, and so that's one of the, the bigger dominoes and that's kind of how we end up here. And so let's talk about really the, the only concrete report that we got this month about an eight and trade, at least that I'm willing to buy. Now I talked about this a little bit yesterday. There was some stuff out there from PHNX and other places about a, a Dallas trade for the number 10 overall pick and some of these other things. And where I came down on those, Brandon, is like if those offers were on the table, some of the ones that, that Gerald Bourget wrote about and everything else, if they were really truly sitting there for the Suns to take, I think DeAndre Ayton would be on the Mavs or he would be on the Orlando Magic. And so I, I don't know how concrete those ever were, even if they were maybe discussed. But the one we did hear about was Tobias Harris. Would have been very similar to the trade we're going to talk about in the next segment, which was pool for Paul. Big salary for big salary. Guy who's maybe not desirable for guy who's not desirable. Obviously, it would have had to include a third team. The Sixers have no need for DeAndre Ayton. Um, but would you, have, would you have felt okay with the Suns pulling the trigger on an Ayton trade if, for really all intents and purposes, all they got back was maybe Tobias Harris and some second-round picks or something like that? Would that have gotten it done in your mind? Would that have been worth it? 
Not really, honestly. Uh, I, I get the idea of it. I do. It was like you're surrounding, you know, you could just throw out a lineup with Booker, Beal, Harris, and Durant, and you have four guys that are 6'5 plus can shoot and defend. So that part of it is intriguing. But then you, you just look at how Sixers fans talk about Harris and how happy they'd be to just get off his contract entirely. And there's, yeah. there's some smoke there. So I think you have to t- definitely factor that in. Harris has not lived up to his ex- expectations there, obviously. Um, so I think that type of player does make sense, but not Harris specifically, if that makes any sort of sense. So I, I get what I get the idea of it, but uh, it's just still incredible that just circling back a little bit that Aiton survived uh, both a Durant <laughs> and Beal trade. Like if you told me a year ago the Suns would trade for both those guys, first of all, I'd say, damn. Second, I would say, I, how is DeAndre and still on the roster after that? So that's that's kind of where the Suns are now. They have to use this trade asset wisely because it's really the last path they have to build depth around uh, this this current big three. So. Um, Aiden could be a part of it. He could be the big four, the fourth. That's what we're all hoping for uh, yeah. if they do keep him. But yeah, it's it's just kind of looking pretty bleak right now as far as suitors. It's kind of like, uh, I'm trying to think of the perfect example, but you know, long like book series or movie series or TV shows where, you know, like fantasy stuff or sci-fi or whatever, where somehow a character, like you, no one is super, it, it's nobody's favorite character, they get in a lot of trouble. They're in, you know, some sort of violent situation a bunch of times, and yet, like, the end of the series comes, and and they're there celebrating whatever with with the rest of the crew, and you had absolutely no expectation. You thought after book one or two they'd be gone. That That's kind of how it feels with Aiton. Um, the thing with Harris to me, and I agree with you, obviously, from the perspective of, like, a wing who can shoot and defend, like, okay, sign me up, but... Harris's inconsistency, the fact that it seems like he's most comfortable with more responsibility. He's one of those guys, um, even yep. though the team probably is worse if, if he's in that type of a role. It's that that type of a situation with Harris, it seems. So that wouldn't be great, bringing him onto a team where he'd be the fourth best player when he was already kind of supposed to be the third best player, and that didn't go well. But really, it's just, uh, I don't want one player back for DeAndre Ayton. That kind of defeats the purpose of trading yeah. Aiton, right? And so I think that's that's really where I come down. And then just from an asset standpoint, too, uh, Harris would be an expiring contract, so there would have been a little bit of salary, more salary flexibility that would have come with a trade like that because his contract is shorter than Aiton's. But in a way, you also end up screwing yourself if you don't end up flipping Harris for something or re-signing him. You just lose the asset sooner <laughs> rather than later. And so I almost mm-hmm. feel like not taking that Harris deal to me, I mean, maybe it just says something about them wanting to have a center or Frank Vogel wanting eight, and there's a whole bunch of stuff. But another part of it, to me, could just be there's still a little bit of confidence that they can trade him at the deadline or next season if they really needed to. They might not feel as much of a panic to do this as Suns fans are feeling, where it's like, if you don't trade him now, it's the end of the world. That's not quite true. So, all right, let's talk about Chris Paul. He's going to be a Golden State Warrior John Gamadoro has said that the Jordan Poole offer was sitting there for the Suns to take, aside from Bradley Beal. Might sound obvious, Bradley Beal versus Jordan Poole, but there's more to it. We'll talk about that next. First, today's show brought to you by eBay Motors for a championship team. It's all about making sure every player is a perfect fit, and it's the same when it comes to your vehicle. So the next time you need parts and accessories, head to eBay Motors to make sure every part fits just right. With eBay Guaranteed Fit, you can be sure every part you need 
is perfect the first time around. Just add your ride to my garage and look for the green check to know that the part will fit your car, your trim, your everything, or get your money back. Because just like in sports, confidence is the name of the game when you shop at eBay Motors. With over 122 million parts to choose from, you'll be back in the game in no time. After all, it's easy to bring home a win when the right parts are guaranteed. So get the right parts, the right price, and the right fit at ebaymotors.com. Let's ride. eBay guaranteed fit only available to U.S. customers, eligible items only, exclusions apply. Okay, so uh, Chris Paul is going to the Warriors. Jordan Poole is going to the Wizards. That was a separate trade that didn't actually end up being part of the original Beal deal for the Suns. Um, but on top of that, the, the Wizards also got a first-round pick in the future, which is not as guaranteed as uh, it could be same with the one for the from the Warriors that went to the Celtics in the Marcus Smart trade. So the, the Warriors are kind of in a dangerous spot there. Obviously, Pool as uh, more of a scorer, similar to Beal, maybe player wise, not too different. And then uh, a couple of young prospects that the Warriors had. Um, this might sound insane, but I just have we just have to put it out there. We're, we're, we're tracing history here, Brandon. Uh, <laughs> is there any way I could have convinced you to take? pool a first and a couple young uh, guys instead of Bradley Beal on this team? Absolutely not. <laughs> and look, I, I think Washington did a great job of flipping Chris Paul. Like they probably got more for him than they, they did for Beal, which is kind of funny uh, yeah. in retrospect. But but uh, no, I, I'm just not a fan of pool. Like he's a little too ball dominant. Like obviously his uh, skill set's great as like a six man, I think for what the ideal role would have been what he was on the Warriors and he couldn't figure that out. So I think uh, on a team like the Wizards where he's just going to get a shoot 30 shots a game, just let, let him go lead the league in scoring on with like a 50 true shooting percentage and just, you know, let him have fun over there. But uh, for, for the Suns specifically, I, I don't really like that fit next to Booker and Durant. I feel like his shot selection is uh, a little too poor. Uh, he looks disengaged. Like if Suns fans are mad at DeAndre Ayton's lack of engagement on defense like Jordan Poole uh he's he would set a new bar so that's to me I, that, like those two things alone are why I'm not a huge fan of the fit but don't get it twisted he can get buckets he's a microwave scorer when he's hot he can win you games but for the Suns trying to win a championship I th I'd rather have someone more reliable um and, and Beal just is better at every aspect of the game than than Poole really if we're gonna boil it down obviously Poole's younger has is owed a little bit less money but but Beal over Poole is just a no-brainer. And yeah. even if, if Beal was off the table, I would still not really be all that, all that interested in a Jordan Poole trade. That's pretty much where I come down to. Uh, I don't think it's insane to at least have the conversation, but a couple things I think would, would be the problem for me. One, Poole is not as good of a three-point shooter as like just the fact that he's on the Warriors, I think made people think, you know, it's like, splash triplets and all this different stuff that you just kind of get thrown onto you because you play for a team we associate with shooters. It's like he, his best season was the year they won the finals and he shot 36% from deep in the regular season did shoot 39% from deep in the playoffs, but you know, I'm going to trust the averages and on the, on his career, he's at 34%. So that's a problem. Mm -hmm. You need somebody who can shoot the ball. If you're going to add a, even a young player, even somebody with more upside to the core of Booker and Durant and what you pointed out uh, as far as his defense goes is, th is there as well. It's like, I don't think Beal's going to be a stopper, but I at least have faith that Bradley Beal can guard his man, rotate, you know, just 
stay mm. alive, you know, not not be a negative. Whereas Poole, for yeah. the most part, has been a pretty active negative, even in the finals year. You know, it was still something where they were yeah. having to kind of protect him, put him on the worst team. He's getting targeted, or uh, worst opponent player. He's getting targeted, all that different stuff. So mm. I just... I couldn't have talked myself into it even with him being younger. The other part is, I actually think it's it's Jordan Poole's birthday. Happy birthday. Oh, no, a week ago. Maybe the, the 19th. <laughs> Happy birthday to Jordan Poole. Um, says it on Basketball Reference. Um, the other part of the trade that I wouldn't have done or that would have made me not do it, which is a part of why I think the Suns didn't do it, is that first-round pick, it has to be from a worse team than the Warriors. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, I think getting a first-round pick and a trade for Chris Paul sounds pretty nice, but even though I said it wasn't super duper protected and, and whatnot, it's still like you got to, you got to bet on a team that has a worse history than like this literal dynasty, you know, like with the eight and trade that I was most intrigued by, it was like, can you get a, a future lottery protected first from Charlotte where maybe that's pick 16 or something, you know, they always chase the eight seed that, that would have been okay. Not a warrior's pick. Um, yeah. So let me put it. Let me put this one to you too, because we saw the Brogdon uh, Clippers thing almost happen. We know the Clippers were interested in Chris Paul. I'm not sure what they're going to do. Maybe just keep Russell Westbrook. But we know they were trying to dump Marcus Morris in a trade like that. I don't know who there would have had to be another person because Chris Paul makes more than Malcolm Brogdon, so it couldn't have just been Marcus Morris. Let's say it's the least desirable one. So let's just say it's Marcus Morris and Robert Covington. And I don't think there was going to be a pick involved in that coming from the Clippers. So if, let me tell you, if I told you it was just those two guys, do you do that deal for Chris Paul instead of Bradley Beal? Because that's two guys. It's two rotation players. Do you do that? And you don't have to give up the swaps and you don't have to give up the Shamit trade asset and all the second round picks. Do you do that trade? It is interesting. And on service, you think it's like a, just an easy no. Uh, for me, it is still a no, but... It is an interesting thought just because there's so many other variables that come into play with uh, the financial flexibility and other things that they, they could do around that roster. Uh, but I think the upside of Beal is just is worth it. And that, that's what it comes down to. I might be a little bit higher on Beal's defense than some other people too, just because I think uh, – I don't think he's going to be like a stopper or anything by any means. But I think the being in the right ecosystem matters a lot. And that's another thing with Poole. He was in the perfect environment to thrive defensively, and he's still just – sticking out like a sore thumb there. So I think that's another reason why I take Beal all day. I think in, in an, on a defense that's going to be as active as they are, um, as physical as the Suns are going to try to be. With it's, it's tough to say this without the personnel all here, but Vogel's envisioning a very physical, scrappy defense. Uh, I think Beal's going to buy into that. He's going to have less of a workload offensively, and he's going to be able to use more energy on the defensive end, and he's going to be on a team that has a chance to win. So that, that just changes a lot of things. I don't think he'll have the leap Booker did as soon as the Suns became relevant uh, as far as, you know, he started trying and things looked a lot better and pe people around him were breaking down less. But um, I'm, I, I just think overall Bradley Beal's, uh, to me, the upside outweighs the risk. So I, I would take that swing nine times out, or ten times out of ten. I think, uh, I think that's fair. I don't think any of the Clippers guys – can, would convince me enough, especially because they're all, all all the tradable players, all the realistically available players that the Clippers have are are on the older side, even older than Beal, you know. So that's not the same yeah. thing as Pool, where you're kind of betting: can he get better? Can he continue to grow? Can he get out of Golden State and do some different things? This would be you're getting guys on their last legs. A lot of those salaries, Morris, uh, Covington, Batum, were all expiring. Gordon was expiring, so that was a destination that I was looking at. 
Um, I just think Beal's better. I mean, that 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 sounds obvious, yeah. but again, you're factoring in the swaps and the seconds and Shamit's contract and all that stuff. You really had to put every single thing on the table. I still think it's worth it. Um, the last thing I would say, though, is <clears throat> now that we've talked about DA and, and Chris, is if they don't trade Aiton, I do think you're looking at a little bit of a worst-case scenario from a books standpoint because you've consolidated Paul and Shamit into one player who's expensive and you've not dissolved or broken up Aiton into multiple players. So it's sort of like to have those four guys isn't ideal. Um, and so I do think a lot is sort of riding on Aiton either getting it together or the Suns bet on him being tradable in the future still, even if we feel like he's not. Not tradable like John Collins was just tradable, but tradable like a real trade for stuff that the Suns can use is still a, a possibility in February or next summer. I mean, I don't know if we really have any way of knowing that right now. Yeah, you're not wrong. I think the margin for error was already pretty slim. It shrunk even more with, with this trade. But um, the positive spin to that is adding a guy like Beal. Now you have a quote-unquote super team that – all these veteran minimum guys are going to want to come play for. They're going to come want to earn that money. Whereas like, let's say they go a different route, like the the Clippers example, where they just add a couple of fringe uh, playoff rotation guys, definitely rotation guys, but not uh, maybe not clear cut top eight guys. Uh, then all of a sudden you're looking at a team that they're not going to have that third star. They're also not going to be attracting all those veteran minimum guys that are ring chasers. Whereas now I think, uh, the Suns are in a position where they're going to be able, there's always going to be those like one or two free agents that kind of slip through the cracks. Everyone's like, all right, all the money's now gone. There's no market for this guy. Uh, and, and he's going to be ending up with the Suns. I, I don't know who it's going to be. It's, it's very difficult to predict, but I think that's going to happen. Um, I'm hoping for certain names. I wrote an article on Bright Side of the Sun today, targeting a few guys that could be some low value. Uh, well, I guess bargain bin type value guys that could yeah. make sense. So uh, but yeah, so it's, it is very tricky now that the cap space, the whole situation there is just going to be tough for them to navigate. But, um, I would still, I still think it's the right path given the options they had. Yeah. Like Dennis Schroeder last year, right? I mean that to give an yep. example from your, from your, uh, veteran signing standpoint could be Dennis Schroeder again this year. He's a free agent once again, but in terms of him mm -hmm. lingering there and, and everything else. Um, yeah. And I'll just say, cause I haven't said it and I know it's not something people want to hear, but it's the off season time. We're talking about cap stuff. We're not talking about basketball. If there were games, trust me, I would talk about them. But the point is, uh, people want to talk about the Suns being forced into a corner here. Um, Bradley Beal is only 30. Even if the Sun, even if you told me the Suns could only get what the Wizards just got for him, that doesn't sound like being pushed into a corner if they had to trade him two years from now. Um, and Devin Booker's only 26 years old. Not saying trading Devin Booker is something I'm ever going to be in the business of doing, but if it got to that point, that's how these resets are going to happen. People don't necessarily want to kind of confront that, but when we talk about these teams that go all in and, wow, what are they ever going to do to get out of this situation? What they're going to do is trade the youngest of the superstar players that they have, and that'll be their way out. It's sort of what you know the, the Nets ended up doing. They had to trade for Harden. Then when they traded Harden, they got some of that stuff back. Like That's how this is going to work, and as long as your guys aren't you know, Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. If I'm the Clippers, I'm panicked. But a lot of other teams, it's just sort of like keep cycling through these things and, and see what happens. Um, let's talk about yep. the biggest of big trades that 
was made. And especially now with John Collins' move, that was the alternative on trade deadline night of 2023. Let's go through those sliding doors and see where we end up after a quick break. All right, Brendan. So uh, this one is actually maybe the most discussed in my YouTube comments and Twitter mentions and everything of all of the ones we've had. Obviously, there's been the most time to sit with it. But there are a shocking amount of people who want to undo the Kevin Durant trade. And I have a lot of thoughts on this. It includes the uh, some thoughts on the gentleman whose jersey is behind me in the frame for those of you on YouTube and whether the breakout that we saw him have in Brooklyn could have actually happened here. But I'll leave you to start us off here. If there's a version of events where the Suns don't trade for Durant, keep McHale, but get John Collins... Does that appeal to you at all? And if so, or if not, why? Not really. Um, John Collins has never been someone that I've been too interested on the Suns. Uh, I think the Jazz are very smart for doing what they did, stepping in, just pretty much taking him for free. Um, they did the same thing with Markinen back when his value was pretty low and no one really wanted him. And look yeah. how that turned out. So there is a world where I think Collins could, uh, that experiment could have been a, positive outcome um i'm not going to sit here and say that it's impossible to rule that out um but keeping mikhail is kind of what what it comes down to and that's what a lot of suns fans are probably referring to and the whole the the bad taste in the mouth that suns fans have from durant's uh series against denver and just how things went down uh that's why i can't wait for the regular season to start because a lot of fans i think are forgetting just how good durant is and he's coming off an injury I think there's a lot of factors that that came into play that, you know, just get this guy on the court, get him through a training camp uh, in a system, a team with some more depth, some familiarity. Wait, hold on. He's going to be looking like Kevin Durant again. More depth than they had in uh, when they were starting Shamit and Landell, hopefully. More depth than they had by game six against Denver. I think that's a nice, like, they can surpass that. That'll be a nice start. Yeah. Exactly. So, and so, yeah, to, to me, it's, it is an interesting discussion because I don't, I don't want to just like scoff at it because I think there's, there's definitely an argument for it. If Durant really does fall off and this is the end of, or this is the start of his, his decline, then obviously it's terrible for Suns fans and it's something that uh, you can't really predict. But to me, you still do that trade nine times out of 10. Uh, I, I don't know. I just, I can't talk myself into the whole Collins thing. So if there's a different name that popped up and I know you're trying to stick with like actual reports, um, then it'd be a little more interesting, but I I just can't really sell myself on that version. Yeah. You know, maybe it probably would have been some version of Crowder, Sharich, Cam Johnson, Shamit, you know, those, some of those salaries, Payne, Craig, Mm -hmm. you know, back when the Suns had a bunch of stuff to trade, remember those days, Uh, it would have been some combination of all of that. Not Mikhail, not Aiton, obviously no KD trade. But you're giving up way less. I mean, just look how little it just took for for Washington, uh, sorry, for Utah to get Collins, like you said, just one salary and a second round pick. Now, the Suns wouldn't have been able to give out such a a small amount of salary because the Jazz absorbed Collins into their cap space. But who cares? That's not that important. The point is keeping bridges, keeping your powder dry. I just think there's no person to keep your powder dry more for than than for Kevin Durant, you know, and... Mm -hmm. That's kind of what I was starting with when we were discussing Sabonis. And I'm sure there's even stuff I'm forgetting that might have felt real at the time that I'm not even keeping track of. Although, you know, 
last summer Durant kind of just became the dominant story. So I, I don't think I'm missing yeah. any, but it's like, you just, you keep things ready for exactly that situation, which is to get Kevin Durant. Exactly. And it's also so it's honestly stupid to me and I'm just venting now, but how last summer the whole conversation was how pathetic it it even was that Durant was trying to get himself to Phoenix because they didn't even have a package that was like a respectful offer to even say on the exactly, phone yeah. to Josiah, right? It was like, what, what an idiot Kevin Durant is for trying to control this process. He has four years on his contract. The Suns are not going to be the team to get him. Look at how, how bad their offer is. Get Jalen Brown, get Scotty Barnes. This is ridiculous. Now they do the trade four months later, you like Bill Simmons is the number one culprit of this. So I will just say his name and call him out. Cause he does not care what I say. Cause he does not know who I am, but he'll say all the time on his show. And I've hear, heard this parroted a lot that the sun's overpaid for Durant. And it's like, which is it, which is it? And I think a lot of it has to do with the Mikhail Bridges breakout that happened in Brooklyn, which I will just say, I don't think is very real. I love Mikhail. I think he's an awesome player, but he shot 43% in the playoffs. And I don't think that what he is, is a guy you want as an offensive player to be a number one or a number two on your team in, in a postseason situation. I think you want him to be your number three, which is what he was here. And that just wasn't good enough. You know, maybe there's a world where you get somebody better than Chris Paul as your number two and things are different or better than Aiton as a number four. And, and the sheer totality of your depth is awesome. Or like, there's all these other things, which Collins would have been a version of, but I don't think that thing, that version of Bridges was going to happen here. And even if it did, I still don't think it was good enough uh, to get them over the hump. So as difficult as it is to part ways with the guy, I love him. I will always be a fan of his. It just wasn't going to happen. And Durant gives you that much closer. Durant makes you a contender every year. You just got to do it. You're, you're spitting right now, man. <laughs> I, I agree with all that. I think, and, and honestly, like just leading up to it, the whole conversation was exactly that. It was the Suns don't have enough to land Durant. Like you're delusional, blah, blah, blah. And uh, now, you know, Mikel, same boat as you, love Mikel. I think he's a great player. Um, I, I don't think what he did at the end of last season was very sustainable or real either, just because that time of year we've always seen, you've seen Josh Jackson look like his <laughs> career is revitalized back in the April and March uh, months of the season. So I'm not comparing him. So just stop that in the comments already. But I'm, I'm just saying there's a lot of stuff that happens at the end of the season that um, as a number one option on a team that wasn't great, where there's no other clear cut option, it's easy to put up those numbers. And I, I don't think that's who Mikel is. I think he's going to be a great connecting piece. And uh, he, but as a number one, number two option, I just don't think that's who he is. So I, to me, I'd rather, much rather, my what if be, you know, what if we missed out on. John Collins and Mikel Bridges than what if we missed out on Kevin Durant? Because if, if that's a conversation where Suns fans knew we had a chance to get Durant and we didn't, that would eat away at us much more worse than, than the Collins Bridges Johnson situation. So yeah. to me, it's a no brainer. I would make that trade again uh, without really thinking. And yeah, you are a guy who likes the draft and the Suns kind of robbed you of any, uh, interest in that there's no there's no need for any of us here in phoenix to watch college basketball or g league ignite or anything happening in atlanta with overtime it's it's just uh you know who's going to sign on the minimum that's really all that we need to care about maybe there's an eight and trade eventually but uh you know it's it's weird um 30 usage rate is what mikhail had in both the regular season and the playoffs he, the guy can prove me wrong, but he's about to turn 27. If if Mikhail Bridges has a 30% usage rate on your team, 
I mean, I don't want to hold people to a, a standard of their worst moments, but we saw that in December. You know what I mean? And they lost to the Rockets by 20. Like, it, ju it just... I. I'm doing this almost to prove the point because I know people who listen to this show know how much I like Mikhail Bridges. But if I'm willing to like back off of that and be reasonable, then everybody else should as well. Um, and I just like, yeah, you could wait for a guy better than Kevin Durant, but good luck. You know, you're probably going to be waiting we, for a while. And look, there is a world like we're both wrong and this is just who Mikhail is now. And I'd love that for him. I don't think either of us would have predicted that. And I don't think a lot of Suns fans or just general NBA fans would have either. So if this is just who he is and, you know, then so be it. Sometimes that happens. Guys break out later in their careers. They get more confident with, with more reps. Uh, but, but I agree. I, I just don't, uh, I don't want to say it's not who he is because I, I think he's a great player. It sounds diminishing to say that, but he's, he's not someone that uh, you don't trade for Kevin Durant. That, it, it comes down to that. Even he acknowledged that in his, his press conference. He's like, it's Kevin Durant. I get it. Yeah, that, exactly. Just, I mean, and that's really what it is, right? It's like, even if he's, even if he, even if what he did in the down the stretch of the regular season is what he is, that player is still not as good as Kevin Durant. That's kind of what it is, right? It's and so and 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 even that player plus John Collins is probably not as good as Kevin Durant, you know. And so, like that's just what NBA team building kind of is. You try it with the guys that you draft and develop, and then eventually, if that doesn't work out, you trade them. That's just sort of what's happening, and it, it just happened really fast with the Suns. I think that's part of why I wanted to do this is. It went from the bubble to you get Kevin Durant and Bradley Beal in two and a half years. It's just insane, but that's what happened, and, and that's where we are. But I don't really feel like any of the moves were a major mistake. It just happens to be that all the guys that, that were available to them were super-duper expensive, and now they're kind of in a weird spot. That I mean, like, that's... Is that, 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 is that like, too, uh, too succinct or too, like, short? I think that's just kind of where they are. No, I think you nailed it. It's just... Like you said, it happened very fast. A lot of things, especially with when you have a young core and you suck for a few years and then you become good quick. That's about the time that those contracts uh, start to, to to inch up on you and you have to make just very tough decisions. So that's why building a quote unquote dynasty or a very good team for a long time is so difficult to do. And it's, it's going to get even more difficult yeah. with some of the stuff we have coming up here in the, the next CBA. So I, I don't know. I think uh, the, the Suns get to this point, all things considered. You have three stars, uh, two superstars, one star, and you're in a great position to win a championship if you can fill the roster out right and, you know, stay healthy. That's that's really what it comes down to now. So as a Suns fan, you take that. And and there shouldn't be any regret or anything like that yet. We just kind of have to let this thing play out. Um, but, but yeah, I think getting to the point we are now, like like you said, just happened so quick. It's it's still kind of surreal. Like I, I just have to see Beal in a Suns uniform on opening night for. I still really feel like, like I need to see end. Kevin Durant in a Suns uniform a little more. That too. Yeah. Like you said a minute ago, uh, just watch an actual real season without weird ankle tweaks and and playoffs and everything else. Just feel yeah. what that's like. Um, but that'll wrap us up. Appreciate everybody finding us wherever you listen to podcasts, including YouTube. Hit follow or subscribe wherever you are. We'll be here every single day throughout the offseason and beyond. Talk to you tomorrow.